Hear now our scripture reading from Philippians chapter 2. Let the same mind be in you that was in Jesus Christ, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. A few weeks ago on the first Sunday of the new year, I told you about my mother's grandmother's greenhouse and how she loved to grow orchids. And I corrected myself, my grandmother knew that she couldn't grow orchids. She knew that she could not make the plant sprout and push its roots into the soil. She could not make it blossom or bloom. But what she could do is she could control the environment. She could provide it with the perfect environment it needed to sprout, Uh, to push its roots deep in the soil, uh, to blossom and to bloom. She knew that she could control the amount of light and water and nutrients that the plant got. She knew that she could control the temperature and the humidity. And as a result, my grandmother had the most beautiful orchids in the entire town of Thomaston, and she loved sharing them with others. There's a lesson there for the church. In the church, we cannot make one another grow spiritually. But what we can do is create an environment in which spiritual growth can occur. And during this season of Lent, that's what I want us to spend some time thinking about. What kind of an environment do we need to grow spiritually. Uh, That is a a part of our Lenten emphasis of rekindling the flames of our faith. And we begin today by opening ourselves to God's Holy Spirit. Are you ready? Pray after me. Fill my cup, Lord. I lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Fill my cup, fill it up, and make me whole. Amen. The first emphasis that I want to put before you is an emphasis on the confession of faith, Jesus Christ is Lord. 
That has been the affirmation that has led to every renewal movement in the church's history since the first century. It invites us to go beyond a vague belief in God. I was doing some reading by a sports uh, caster not too long ago, and, and he sort of summed up his personal faith. He said, I'm not a religious man, but I do believe in God. I've made mistakes in my life, um, and I believe that when I come to the end of my life, the great umpire in the sky is going to forgive me and call me safe. I hear that expressed by a lot of folks, frankly. A vague belief in God, an acknowledgement of sins, but a belief that God is going to redeem me at the end of my life. It's almost like people believe that there are scales in heaven and their good deeds get put on one side of the scale and their bad deeds go on the other side of the scale and the Lord shows up to read which way the scale tips and whichever way it is, that is your eternal destiny. That's not our faith. Our faith is that we believe in God and have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. It is a relationship that saves us. Christ's atoning death for us upon the cross, his resurrection that empowers us, that is at the heart of our salvation experience. It's not what we do, it's what Christ does for us. And it's when we acknowledge that and proclaim Jesus Christ is Lord that our lives have the right environment for us to be transformed and to grow into the likeness of Christ. Certainly that is what the Apostle Paul was getting at in his letter to the church in Philippi that was just read by Elizabeth for us a few minutes ago. He says, have the same mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, he did not believe that being God was something to be held on to, but he humbled himself and he emptied himself and became a human being. And he submitted himself to death, yes, even death on the cross. And so at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now scholars are quick to point out to us that what Paul is doing, he's quoting a hymn here. Whether that hymn was one that he composed and taught to the church or it's one that the church already had, we don't know. But what we do understand in reading it in this letter this is what Paul believes about Christ. He believes that Christ was with God in the beginning, that he empties himself, he becomes a human being, that he redeems us, and then he returns to God in heaven. Jesus Christ is Lord, is what is his proclamation. And if you think about it, that is an extraordinary change for Paul. When we first encounter him, his name's not Paul, it's Saul, and we're reading about him in the book of Acts. 
And as Saul, he is a Pharisee who is very passionate about the law, and he is actually persecuting Christians. My understanding of what he had against Christians, he didn't like this belief that they were proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. In Paul's mind, Jesus could not be the Son of God. What he believed is that if God's Son was put up on a cross, God would send angels down out of heaven to rescue him and to punish those who put him up there. That God, this omnipotent God that Paul worshipped and served and talked about, would not let his son die on a cross. And because Jesus died on the cross, by definition, he could not be God's son. And he made it his mission in life to arrest people and silence those who were trying to make that proclamation. That's what led him towards Damascus. He's on the road when suddenly he's knocked off his horse by a beam of light from heaven. And he hears the words, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you? I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. At that moment, he has a revelation, an epiphany. He understands that he's been wrong all of this time. He realizes that Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. And he turns and begins to proclaim, Jesus Christ is Lord from that day forward. I was at Lake Junaluska once hearing the late Bishop James K. Matthews preach. And he was pointing out that when the disciples were casting lots to choose Matthias to take Judas's place and to be the new 12th disciple... The Holy Spirit was actually picking the Apostle Paul to be that new 12th disciple. He became the apostle, the missionary, a pillar of the church. And the renewal in his life and the renewal of the church can be traced back to this affirmation, Jesus Christ is Lord. It's been the case for throughout the centuries. Go back to the 16th century. There's a renaissance that's taking place over Western Europe and the church wants to get in on it, wants to use it as an evangelistic tool. There's a renaissance of art and architecture. So they hire architects to build beautiful cathedrals like St. Peter's Cathedral in Rome and to hire artists to paint frescoes, people like Michelangelo to work on the Sistine Chapel, Leonardo da Vinci to paint uh, the Last Supper in Milan. But think about it, as these cathedrals are being built, as these art pieces are being commissioned, it takes money to get that done. So where are you gonna come up with the money? The Pope was all ears and someone came up with an idea and said, I think we ought to sell something called indulgences. What are indulgences? Well, when people come on Saturday night for confession, after they confess their sins, we'll charge them for their sins. Oh, that's a $10 sin. That's a $50 sin. That's a hundred. That's a thousand dollar sin. 
and we'll charge them for their sins. Will they do that? Oh yeah, we think they'll do it. And people did. They were glad to write a check for the forgiveness of their sins and the church was glad to take their money. And there was a monk in Germany by the name of Martin Luther who said, you can't do that. That's not right. Read your Bible. Our faith is in Jesus Christ who died for us on the cross. God's redemptive work is accomplished for us through Christ. We don't write checks to have our sins forgiven. You can't do that. And of course, he made it public that he didn't think you could do that. The word got back to the Pope. He was called on the carpet and he was called to account for himself. And he said, this is what I think the problem is. And they said, you got to take that back. And here's what he testified. He said, if you can go through the scriptures and you can find even one place where I'm wrong, I'll take it all back. But you can't. So here I stand. So help me God. Amen. And they threw him out of the church. And there were some people that said, that's not right. Luther is right about this. And they protested and they became known as the protesters or the Protestants. And there was a new movement that was created centered in Jesus Christ as Lord. And the church flourished as a result of the protesters proclaiming Jesus is Lord. Ten years later, a fellow by the name of Ignatius of Loyola showed up, went to the Pope and said, I've got an idea and I'd like for you to um, bless a new order that I want to create. A new order, how is your order different than the others I've got? Well, I'd get a group of people together and we just sort of ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? And then we'll try to do it. Oh, okay. You can sum that up? Yeah, WWJD. And the Pope said, can you put that on a bracelet? That'd be kind of nice. And he blessed Ignatius of Loyola. And he created a new order called the Jesus people, or in Latin, the Jesuits. And they reformed the church. The indulgences were disbanded. And the church got back to the reforms that Martin Luther had asked for in the beginning. All because people started asking, is Jesus Christ Lord of my life or not? And if he is, I need to follow him and do what he asks me to do. And when you get right down to it, in the 18th century, that's what was going on in the early days of the Methodist movement. 1729, John Wesley and Charles Wesley went to Oxford in England showed up at the university, and they began to meet with a group of people, George Whitfield and a few others, and they would meet three or four times a week. They would read the scriptures together and talk about what they meant. They would pray together. They would fast twice a week on Wednesdays and Fridays, at least until three o'clock in the afternoon. They would go and visit the prisons. They would take food to people who were hungry. They would go to the orphanages and teach the orphans how to read. And you know what they got called as a result of that? There were people who said, you're just trying to be so pious. You're just a holy club. It was a term of derision. But from that holy club, from that holy gathering, came the Methodist movement. People emphasizing the lordship of Jesus Christ in their life asking themselves, what would Jesus do if he were in my shoes? And then having the courage to actually do it. 
Now, I want you to notice that what Paul says, in order to get there, we have to empty ourselves. Our lives are so full of self. We are so busy. It's so difficult for us to find time to do Jesus' business. So we have to empty ourselves. Have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. He emptied himself. When we empty ourselves of things of the world, we open ourselves to things of the Spirit. We create an environment where the Holy Spirit can move into and through our lives. And that's our Lenten discipline, to let go of some things, to rid our lives of some things so that we can have more of God in our lives. It's when you do an act of kindness, it's like dropping a pebble into a pond and you see the ripples go out and you can't actually see all the way that the ripples go. They change people's lives. In your bulletin today, there's an insert about the the Habitat for Humanity house that we're building. And all the houses that we built in the past, every house represents a family's life that has been changed. And you go and you talk to folks that have gotten a Habitat house from Peachtree Road, and they'll ask you, why are you doing this? You don't know me. Why are you doing this? This is changing my life. Why are you doing it? And I know people say, I know, I don't know you but I know Christ, and this is what Christ asks me to do, to give towards this and to show up on a Saturday and to build and to make a difference in your life because if I can change your life, the kingdom comes more fully into this world. And so it happens because we affirm Jesus Christ is Lord, and that's the beginning point. We open ourselves And we pray for God to fill our cups, to fill them up, and to make us whole. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.